have your copy of God's Word, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. Um, excited to talk about this, I'm excited because um, I like to talk about this idea of the church on mission. Um, excited because tonight um, we're going to get the opportunity to pray over another student after um, the invitation song as we uh, prepare to send another student out and about to uh, the world at large. So we're excited about those things. And the idea of living on mission just is permeates the New Testament, permeates the Bible. And so Ephesians chapter 4 uh, beginning in verse number 11. If you guys would stand with me to pay honor to the reading of the word tonight, uh, we will begin our time together. Ephesians 4, uh, verse number 11, this is the word of the Lord. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And this is God's word, and praise be to him for keeping it and preserving it so we can read it together in a setting like this tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight, and we're so thankful for the opportunity we have to look at your word, to consider it together. Thankful for the other weeks in our series that we've been able to do this. Thankful for Brendan and his faithfulness to preach and teach your word. God, we just ask that you would be with us now as we dive into your word, that we might understand it more clearly. And Father, we know that tonight we're not the only people who are in the business of opening your word, discussing it, thinking through it, and preaching it. And so we think of our friends all over the city, think of our friends at Grace Bay Baptist Church under the direction of Bob Stevenson and the different staff members there, Kyle Gangle, uh, Tyler Shore, Zach Peel, Bon Waller. God, we just ask that you would watch over those shepherds, that they would be able to uh, shepherd the flock that you've entrusted to them well. And Father, we ask that you would be with them as they minister to brothers and sisters in Christ. May the fruitfulness of their ministry grow. We also think of Ridgecrest Baptist Church tonight, and we think of Jeremy Nunez there, the new pastor. We ask that you would help him as he starts out a new ministry there, that you would watch over him, that you would put a hedge of protection about him, that he would be able to also shepherd the flock that you've entrusted to him well also. Father, thank you so much for our college ministry. Thank you for each and every one of the students that are sitting in here tonight, those that are serving at camp even this week, some of our students out and about traveling at different camps all through the summer. And we just ask that you would watch over them, uh, give them great opportunities to share and uh, preach the gospel. And then be with us now as we turn our attention to your word. May we be convicted of the areas and means by which we need to change tonight. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. You know, one of the things that Jess and I love to do, um, we have this... Uh, kind of love relationship with uh, watching TV show competitions. Now, I don't want you to think that we're like watching um, like fake stuff like Big Brother or um, 
uh, the greatest or amazing race or think of like pagan idol worship shows like uh, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. I don't have time to do that. But we do like to watch like uh, America's Got Talent, which is pretty much the greatest TV show ever because you see people act like complete idiots. And then you see people that like blow your mind with amazing talent, which is just great. And then we like the singing shows. I like The Voice. We both like The Voice. Jess, for some reason, likes American Idol. Um, but I'm just not there with her on that particular show. But anyway, one of the re- one of the things that I find interesting from watching, especially sh- shows that focus on singing, so you can think of American Idol, The Voice, Songland, and other shows um, that fall into that category, is you'll hear judges from time to time say, if you will be faithful to stay in your lane, you will do well in this competition. Meaning, like, you're a really strong pop singer, probably shouldn't cross over and try and do country, it's going to end poorly for you. Um, you don't really hear that comment on America's Got Talent because, like, if you're a juggler, you're pretty much locked into that lane. Like, you're not going to be like, I'm a juggler, and the next week you're like, I- I'm going to swallow swords. Like, hopefully you don't just pick that up one week to the next. Anyway, this idea of staying in your lane is one of the things that's communicated time and time again on these television shows. And if I brought this question to my mind. As we look at the church culture at large, a church that culture that admittedly this year has reported among Southern Baptists that we're baptizing less people, less people are attending our churches, and we're seeing less people come to know Christ. All across the evangelical spectrum, we're seeing less and less people come to know Christ, be involved in church, we could say, growing in their faith. And I wonder if that is because the church has struggled with the concept of staying in her lane. Meaning, there are specific guidelines that the church is given inside of the New Testament for how they're supposed to operate, what the expectations for them are. And more often than not, if we looked around the world at large, we would see time and time again, just different variations of things that aren't given in Scripture, never encouraged to be done, and yet the church seems consumed with them. I read a post recently, and this is not a pot shot of anything in particular. I don't. This is not a, a negative or a positive. It's just a neutral. Someone made the cultural observation that we have seen a spike in the amount of church photo booths that show up all over our churches on special holidays. I mean, you see them even here. Like, we have them. Because we know that people are coming to church more based around that particular day than perhaps because they desire to worship the Lord together because that's what Christians for 2,000 years have done. They've gathered together on Sundays to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see these slow and subtle shifts to, to meeting people's felt needs that might be okay, provided that we're also doing what the Bible says. I think that's where our church has really tried to walk that middle ground. You go around the city, it's not the same. It's a lot of extracurricular activities. You could call it motion without point. So what is the church supposed to look like? What does it mean for the church to live on mission? We go back to week one, we talk about the Great Commission, make disciples, baptize people, teach them everything that Jesus commanded, and let them know that Christ is going to be with them in the person 
of the Holy Spirit till the end of the age. But how does the church live on mission and do that? Well, Ephesians 4 gives us the clue to that. And so tonight, just three observations that we might make about what does it mean for the church to live on mission. So I've tried to make these short, choppy phrases for our points tonight to kind of help us key in on these ideas. Number one, I want us to see that Christ gives, or I could say Christ is the giver of gifts, but Christ gives. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Paul tells the church here that the perfect, the persons who have been given gifts to lead in the church, to help the church live on mission, have come from Christ himself. This isn't like going to the grocery store and you pick out the things that you like and the things that you don't like. You, when it comes to the gifting that God has given the leaders of the church, and we could, by expansion, say the gifts that he's given to each individual person, it's not like going to the grocery store where if you're like me, let's spend a little less time in the fresh produce area looking at fruits and vegetables a little bit more time in the bakery. Ryan, you have to wear large pineapple shirts because you need to probably spend more time eating pineapple than pineapple pound cake. But here we are and such is life. But this is what Christians want. They want to be the people who go through the grocery store or go through the buffet line and pick the parts that they like. I want to be this kind of person. I want to be that kind of person. I wish I had these skills and these gifts. Like, I'm going to be real honest. Like, part of me is a little bit jealous every week when we do worship that I can't do anything musically on stage without scaring all of you. Like, I could do it, but it wouldn't end, it would end poorly. No one would come back. And it would, it, yeah, just be bad. But God has gifted me differently than he's gifted you and He's gifted you different than the person that you're sitting next to with unique gifts and abilities. But even more so, he's given specific people to you to help you grow. And when those leaders tap into what they're supposed to be doing and church members hold their leaders accountable to what they're supposed to be doing, then the church flourishes as a result of it. Rather than stumbling around trying to figure out what we should be doing, if we look to the scriptures and say, Christ is the one who's given us these things. It's my, one of my favorite passages. Because, like, I was called to ministry by God. Christ gave me the gifts and abilities that I have. And God has, in his own will and purposes, put me here to be your college pastor. You may be frustrated about that, but God knows what he's doing, even though I don't all the time, and has placed me in this spot to lead this particular ministry, just like he's given us Russ to lead our discipleship ministry, just like he's given us Paul to lead our missions ministry, just like he's given us Brian to lead our children's ministry, and Kevin, our middle school ministry, and Luke, our high school ministry, and Shelly to run the preschool ministry, all the different people, and then he's given us Pastor Eddie to, to lead all of us, which is basically do sermon prep and then herd cats. 
Um, if you've ever been around our office staff, you'll know that this is a very apt picture of what happened. So he's entrusted Pastor to be our leader. He's given us, Pastor Eddie, to help us live on mission. So when we get upset about the people or the gifts that we might have, I just want to remind us that our main argument is not with the person who's in charge, but the person who puts the people in charge. It's like the person who gets on the phone with the customer service representative and has an hour-long argument with them. It's futile. As someone who did lived in that world and worked answering phones for Bass Pro, like, I don't really care. Like, at the end of the day, you can yell at me all you want because eventually I'm punching out and going home and you can't reach me on my cell phone. That's why you have to go up the food chain, right? You just, let me speak to a manager. Let me speak to that manager's manager. And then whoever's, did I just go straight to Johnny Morris? No, we don't know where he is. Um, if you have problems with the leaders God has entrusted to your church, the church that you've joined, the church that you said is going to get the very best of you and you're going to expect the very best from them. Ultimately, your gripe is with God, not with the person who's in leadership. Christ also gives these gifts with expectations that they're going to be used. You know, you have leaders who, like we mutually serve together. But you should have expectations that they're going to use their gifts. You should have expectations that the pastors who are going to equip you to do the work of the ministry, which we're going to get to in a second, are actually doing the work of coming in and getting themselves ready to equip people to do ministry. Not to do ministry like make everybody a Bible college student, but to help you live on mission for God's glory. And pastors and teachers and evangelists need to be people who are using their gifts the way that Christ intended them to be. So we look at these gifts. These gifts are apostles and prophets. I just want to point out for the sake of the context of the New Testament that these two uh, particular gifts were given to the early New Testament church to help establish and get the early New Testament church off the ground. There's a strong argument to be made inside the entire New Testament that apostles and prophets have ceased with the closing of the canon. With the formation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, those two offices are no more, but we know them historically to be used by God to get the church off the ground. Just read the book of Acts, a historical narrative, a historical story of what it looks. Evangelists. Pastors and teachers, evangelists are people who are uniquely gifted by God to see people come to know Christ. Now, I want to stop here because some of you who, are, who get freaked out every time we talk about sharing the gospel go, oh, well, the Lord hasn't given me that particular gift. He may not have given you that gift, but it doesn't exempt you from the requirement to share Christ with people. What the, the New Testament is telling is there are certain people who have a natural gift of sharing Christ and their friends just come to know Jesus. Some of you may have a friend like this. They can't help but get around somebody and just start talking about the gospel. And people like hear it, like you could say it, and they'd be like, I don't understand. And then that person that God has given that gift of evangelism to comes and says the exact same thing. And then people are like, I get it. You're like, what just happened? So we need to make the distinction that while some are given the gift of evangelism, it doesn't exempt you out of being able and me from sharing Christ. These gifts.
given pastors and teachers. These are the people who are responsible for shepherding and caring for you. They're supposed to watch over you. They're supposed to care deeply for you. They're supposed to guard you, but sometimes correct you. That's why everybody loves Psalm 23, right? We sing of the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. We go through all of those verses. We often skip over the part when we're reading Psalm 23 where the psalmist writes, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A staff is used to guide, a rod is used to rebuke. Sometimes, as a shepherd, it's my least favorite part of the job, and you have to be corrective and confrontive, and you have to deal with people's sin, and you have to deal with your own sin. Sometimes, that means having difficult conversations. That's part of what it means to be a part of a church that's living on mission, that has pastors and teachers who are caring to shepherd you. So I would just ask you these questions. If we're going to consider what these gifts are and the fact that Christ gives them, are you in the regular habit of praying for the people God has given to your church? One of the easy ways to break this down would be to say, are you in the regular habit of praying for the staff and the staff support inside of Crossway Baptist Church. We could push it a little bit further. Are you regularly committed to praying for your college pastor, his wife, the adult leaders, and the small group leaders? Those are the different chains of leadership inside of this particular ministry that are responsible for the oversight and well-being of your particular soul. So when an adult leader gets in your grill about something and you come to me to complain and you're like, why won't you do anything? It's because we've tasked them to do that. When your small group leader asks like, bro, you for the last eight weeks, you've been praying that you'd be stronger in your Bible reading and you're not like we've got to stop praying for this and actually start putting some action to it. That's what they're there for. They're there to shepherd, to help, to minister to you. I want to ask you this question tonight. Have you considered, seriously, have you considered that God may be calling you to one of these roles? Now, if you're a woman in here and you're thinking that God has called you to be a pastor, I can assure you that you're wrong. So I just want to clear the air on that. I'm sure that won't play well on the podcast, but um, I can assure you that you're not. First Timothy chapter 2 clears that up right away um, but when we understand that he's given we could say it this way have you considered the fact that God may be calling you to like operate inside a full-time vocational ministry we don't talk a lot about that anymore right you're supposed to go get an accountant's job and make money telling other people that they owe the government more money it just seems like a ripoff like sorry if you're an accountant This idea of just going and getting the best job and making the most money and living the happiest, healthiest, wealthiest life you can is the American dream that's not consistent with what Scripture calls us to live. Have you considered that you might be a leader that God is calling into vocational ministry? And then number two, maybe, just maybe, you, you know, nope, that's not for me. I can for sure tell you that's not where I'm landing. But you have a friend that you're suspicious that God may be working 
in, on, and through them to call them to something like that. When was the last time that you might have said to a friend, hey, you know, I noticed that you keep failing, like, general ed classes. But anytime we ask you to quote something from the scripture, you know it, like, immediately. You can't do algebra, but you have the book of Ephesians memorized. Maybe God is calling you to something other than what you're currently pursuing. Second thing we see, I've got to pick up the pace here. It's been a little bit since I've done this, so forgive me for taking long. Leaders equip. Christ gives us these leaders, and then leaders are supposed to equip. Verse number 12, what's the primary? There's other things we're going to talk about that leaders do, but the primary thing that leaders are going to do, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The word equip carries with it this idea of focusing on bringing work to completion. The work of the leaders in ministry is to develop the members of the church. Pastor elders do not just do the work of the ministry. Crossway Baptist Church did not hire me to be the only person who reaches college students. He didn't hire me to be the only person who deals with college students or talks to college students or plans events or activities or directs the vision and ministry of our church. I'm the primary leader, but I'm not the only one who's supposed to be doing that work. You all are supposed to be bought in and I'm supposed to be helping to equip you. Regardless of what your field is, Regardless of if you feel called to vocational ministry or whether you want to be an engineer or you want to be an accountant or you want to work in politics, heaven help you if you do. But if you want to do that, I'm supposed to be, as your pastor, equipping you to do the work of the ministry regardless of where you land. So if you ever get the feeling inside of you that I care more about some other student than another particular student, I just want you to know that is a lie straight from the devil. I've worked very hard over the last five years, and I'm still working hard at it. And you're going to have to get used to the idea that I'm a sinner, that I sin, I'm not perfect. And if you need evidence of that, come over to our house at 3 o'clock in the morning when it's time to do hard work. And I'm like, I'm out. Like, I got to sleep. Luckily, now she's sleeping through the night, so we didn't go out. But o'clock in the morning like who's up at that time like what are you doing with your life apparently eating but anyway i'm not perfect but i want to equip each and every one of you one of my great heroes of the faith uh, that i really admire a lot um, in fact i admire him so much i write i'm writing about him is, is a man by the name of carl f.h henry who was the first editor of christianity today and just a world-class brain but he had this idea for a university called Crusade University, and the idea was he was going to train the best of the best Christians for every field of work. The, he wanted this university to produce world-class Christian accountants and movie producers and theater critics, and you name the field, this ultimately never came to be. That's my desire for you. If regardless of what field you're going into, or even if you're not in a field, like you're just doing a job, you're like, forget school. Anybody can do this. I don't need to go to school to do this. Like anybody can do it. Like 
Anybody could put a man on the moon. Who needs science? And you're like, I'm going to just do it ourselves. Like, I want you to be the best at doing that. I want you to be equipped to reach people where you are. Instead of waiting for people to ask you about Jesus, I want you to live on mission. That's what the leaders are supposed to do. They're supposed to equip people to do the work of the ministry, to evangelize people, to serve people, to love and care about people, that you get to work and rather than all the other grouchy people who don't want to talk to anybody, you uniquely care about the people around you in a way that's completely distinct from everybody else that's trying to use and backstab and move up the academic or secular ladder. Leaders are supposed to equip, and I just want you to know that our ministry heartbeat is to equip you to do the work of the ministry and to not play favorites and to not seem like somebody's more important than somebody else. Listen, if God has called you to a task, we believe that that's important. Whether that means whatever the worst job in the world is, which I don't know what that is, but if God has called you to do it and you love it, we're going to help you reach people there. Or you're in the weirdest degree program ever. Like 16th century theater studies that emphasized on plays with very limited values. We want you to reach people in that field. I don't know who they are, but we want to reach them. Why? Because we have a big vision. We have a revelation vision. We have a vision that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are surrounding the throne of God, praising Him, giving Him worship because He rescued them from their sins. And the only way we can help you to do that is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That means that the ministry must be a mutual service ministry. So you're not consumers. The, the customer is not always right in the church. And we've got to break that mentality. You may be always right when you go into Walmart and gripe about whatever, and there's a lot there to complain about. But when it comes to the church, we're mutually serving together. We're linking arms willfully and serving together to promote Christ. So pastor elders need to be enlisting members into the regular ministry of serving their particular church. So you know where the questions are going. One, if we can help you, if there's an area where we need to grow and be better at helping to equip you, we want to know about it. Are you communicating with us instead of waiting for us to hit an amorphous target that we can't see? And then two, are you regularly placing yourself in situations to be equipped to do the work of the ministry? Are you regularly attending church? You're like, well, I'm here tonight. Yeah, but if, you, if this is the first time you've been to Wednesday night service in the last five weeks, you're not regularly putting yourself in a situation to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. Are you regularly attending your small group? Are you regularly attending Sunday morning and Sunday night services so that you're equipped under the preaching of the word? Are you coming to Bible studies? And when D groups start back in the fall, are you going to do what it takes to be a part of that so that you are more prepared tomorrow than you are today to reach the people God has called you to reach? You know, some of you have been placed in places where I will never get because I'm too dumb to get into them. Some of you are incredibly bright and you've been placed in high prestigious academic programs that I can't even spell. 
God has uniquely placed you there because he is giving you an opportunity to share and speak boldly for Christ. And we're trying to help equip you, but you've got to be here to be equipped. And then I want to ask you this, where and what ways are you currently serving in the college ministry and then our church at large? Are you a consumer or are you an active member member of the local church? Consumers sit and eat. Active members eat and serve. We're trying to build in and we'll be announcing more. We're getting ready to meet with our small group leaders and adult leaders again and think about ways that we can expand opportunities for you to be able to serve inside of this particular ministry and then pushing you to serve in other areas as well. All of the while just asking this of you, that you would regularly commit to being in your small group at least two times a month and the same for Wednesday night. That we're okay if you want to serve somewhere inside of the church, but you need to be equipped as well. Because there are a lot of people who are trying to take people where they have never been as they serve inside of the local church because they're not regularly sitting under preaching and teaching, they're not regularly being discipled, and they're not in community with anybody. And they're trying to take people to places where they've never been, and you wonder why people get lost along the way. Because you can't take somebody where you've never been. Lastly, so we see that Christ gives gifts, or Christ gives, leaders equip, and then finally the church grows. When pastors and elders equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, they are leading to the growth of the church. But you know, it's a two-way street. Pastors, elders, leaders inside of the church equip, they have to have somebody to equip. This passage is not, as we might think, just only directed at the leadership. It's also directed at what was commonly referred to in the 16th century as the laity or the lay elders or the lay members, that this idea that you have to be there to be equipped. And here's what we're after. Verse number 12. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I've called this pretty much the biggest uh, task that the church is given that will never be completed this side of heaven. That every member would be perfect. I've got enough to work on in my own life, let alone to help to equip us to get to that point. Paul is after spiritual growth. Listen to this, because we can get sidetracked by this. Paul is after spiritual growth over numeric growth. So when we talk about inviting your friends, it's not so that we can have the most people most college students of any ministry in the city. It's not about that. Hopefully our desire to see people come to know Christ, grow in their relationship with him, and go on mission for him is directly tied to our desire to see each other grow spiritually. But if we do what the Bible says in this area, we need to be prepared for the fact that there may be some tight squeezes in front of us. Average attendance for the fall of 2018 was 82 people. If those 82 people went out and uh, got an, 
one person and we're committed to discipling them, obviously immediately we would double. And then it just gets kind of crazy after that. And then people become uncomfortable because, like, my friend group can't all sit together. And I don't know everybody. It can't be about that. Church can't be like a country club because, trust me, I'm telling you right now, the amount of rounds per year that is getting played in golf is plummeting. Country clubs will literally throw memberships at you. So if you want a place where people will cater to your every need, will kiss up to you, will give every whim that you possibly want to them, go drop a couple thousand dollars and join a country club. But if you're looking for that from a church, I'm telling you, the New Testament says you're not going to find it here. And churches need to be very careful that they're far more concerned about the spiritual growth and health and vitality of their members than making them comfortable, whatever that means. goes on in verse 14. Here's what we're after, that you would no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that you're not driven around by false doctrine. You're not on line becoming part of a cult. If some people don't show up at your apartment or your house, and the next thing you know, you've shaved your head, and you're passing out literature in an airport. You laugh, you chuckle, but this happens all the time because people aren't equipped to do the work of the ministry. They don't pay attention. They don't come to church. Some guy comes to their front door and says, if you do this, if you do that, if you're this way and you look this way, and when you get to heaven, you'll have all of these things or all of these people. And they're like, well, that sounds normal. Because they've not been equipped to know false doctrine. When you start just making it up as you go, that's why you end up in 14th century heresy. So we're after spiritual growth. We're after protecting people. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We're equipping you to say the right things at the right time. And sometimes there's just never a right time to say because it's always going to be uncomfortable. But the tone and the way that you deliver it is so key. You can't learn that if you're not around being trained by the word. Then lastly, he says, from the whole, whom the whole body join and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Ultimately, this whole process is to create an atmosphere of continued growth and fellowship in the church and together to look to Christ's return. So it's so funny. You put tables up. You want to create an atmosphere where people will sit together, will talk, will fellowship with each other. I'm always surprised by Christians. And I understand that different weeks demand different things on your life. So please hear me when I say this. It's not a blanket statement about every week. But I'm constantly surprised by the people at churches all across the country and even here that look like 
They literally got lit on fire the minute the closing amen is said. And even worse, since I started doing uh, that altar ministry stuff where you're a pastor at the end of an aisle and people come up to you and tell you stuff. The people who are leaving like during the invitation because they want to beat the traffic. This isn't the seventh inning of a blowout baseball game and we're trying to get out of downtown Chicago. But we treat church this way. We treat the people around us this way. Like, normally I would love to get to know you, but I've got to go eat dinner. So I'm out of here. Or I've got to go catch a movie and sit in a dark theater and not talk to anybody for the next eight hours. Especially if you're watching, like, Avengers Endgame. Still haven't seen it, but I heard it goes on forever. Here's the bottom line. None of those things are inherently bad, right? Going to get a meal, going to watch a movie together with friends, those are all good things. But when they impede our ability to care and minister and live on mission for the local church, they have become a bad thing. I, I, this is what Tim Keller says all the time. You guys heard me quote this. I'm pretty sure it will probably be put on my tombstone when I die. I'm 30. I'm like a third of the way there. I don't know. I asked Judd. He tells me what I'm getting close to. Good things become bad things when bad things become God things. Good things become bad things when those good things become God things. One of the things I'm incredibly burdened about moving forward with us as a ministry, and since it's the summer and it's a little bit smaller of a crowd and feels a little bit more like home, I know some of you are seniors and you're like, what have I got myself into? Don't worry, you'll be here soon enough and you'll figure it all out. One of the things that I'm very much concerned about, and as we drive 2,400 miles in the last week and a half, you have a lot of time to think and listen to podcasts and pray with your eyes open um, about where God is taking us as a apology ministry. But one of the things I'm very concerned about is if we're not very careful, we can get to the point where we are comfortable with this. That this becomes comfortable. I like my friends. And I like that I don't have to meet new people every week and that I know who I'm going to sit with and I know everybody and it just kind of feels nice. It's like cheers. Everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. I wonder if the reason why churches become comfortable and don't live on mission is because somewhere along the way, it's not that they left the lane that they're supposed to be in, but they got away from this cardinal truth that each and every one of us are born sinners. And that outside of coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. And that if no one were to share the gospel and we were never to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we would spend eternity separated from God, which is far worse than being in hell. Just understand that. Being separated from God is hell in of itself. But on top of that is everlasting torment double jeopardy it's not good but part of the reason why the church has lost its prophetic ability to live on mission is because you and i are no longer shaken to our core that if we don't get equipped and trained to do the work of the ministry there are people who are going to spend eternity separated from god forever in a real literal hell but when that is firmly in our mind, 
coupled with what God calls the church to be on mission, look out. Look out. You want to know why this church has gotten to the point it has, even why this college ministry has gotten to the point? Because you all have bought into that. But I'm telling you that every generation of Christians has a tendency to back off, to let their foot come off the gas pedal, to coast, to say everything's going to be okay. I just want you to know, as long as the Lord allows me to be your pastor, so you leave this particular area and go to a different place, and some of you are like, i got to find a way out of here now. I'm going to push us to live more and more and more on mission. You got some ideas that we're going to throw at you? i got to vet them with people to make sure I'm not like Jason. We want to challenge you this fall and the rest of this summer to be serious about this. This is serious business. Let's be the people, let's be the church, let's be the college ministry that is so committed to living on mission, it hurts when we're not.